I've never met two people who were alike, and I'm an identical twin. Welcome to today's show. I've got a very special guest, Dr. Helen Fisher. She's a TED All-Star, done five TED Talks. She's the chief scientific officer for Match.com, PhD in biology, uh, anthropology, biological anthropology. But more importantly, importantly to me, fascinating person because she has devoted her life in part to studying why we fall in love, how sex matters, and maybe we're going to ask the question, is sex the root of everything? They say money is the root of all evil, but could it be sex? But not just the root of all evil, root root of everything, our desire for money, our desire for status, our desire for fame, our desire to be known and understood, our desire to not be cheated on. At the end of the day, that's what I want to talk about. You've been to, uh, you're on country, what, 118? Next? 108. 108. Yeah. North Korea is off the list. Off the list. Off the list. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of others are too. Yeah. It's a great world. But we're more similar than we're different everywhere. Now, okay, I'm going to start with this. This is a great opening to this book, Anatomy of Love. <laughs> Always start with some humor. So you were in a uh, back of a pickup truck in the highlands of New Guinea yes. with a man who had three wives. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, um, so I asked him, how many wives would you like to have? And, uh, <laughs> and you thought he might say. Well, I was waiting. I thought there was this pause. And I thought to myself, is he going to say five? Is he going to say 10? Is he going to say 25? And he leaned towards me and he said, none. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always thought that. I'm like, I'm like, would it actually be great to have multiple wives? Because a lot, of, a lot of people don't want to have one wife. Right. I saw today that Marriage is at its all-time low in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, it's even from just the year 2000, just 19 years ago, it's dropped dramatically. So I really question that. You know, I mean, I you know, I go with um, Andrew Churlin, who's a fine sociologist, and he says about 86 percent of Americans will marry by middle age. We're just doing it much later. Right, right later. Yeah, yeah much this, later. But and we're w- breaking up, and we're marrying again. So you know. Nope. As Samuel Johnson said, you know, remarriage is the triumph of hope over experience. <laughs> and indeed we do. I mean, we're built to form pair bonds. I mean, this is why the guy in New Guinea didn't want any wives. He had three of them. And it's a toothache. Every single time he was out of town, somebody was jealous. It's very, very difficult to, you know, women don't share well. Men don't share well either. I mean, we've been, we're a pair bonding animal. Millions of years ago, we evolved this drive to uh, pair up and rear our children as a team. And we do it over, not, not to suggest that we're necessarily sexually faithful to that partner, but we are a pair bonding animal. You know, I mean, 97% of mammals do not pair up to rear their young and people do. And we do it over and over and over again in almost every culture on earth. So you don't think it's a social construct? Of oh God, no, it's not a social construct. So this was happening long before Judeo-Christian morals was there, before Western civilization. You're saying yeah. 10,000 years ago, people were still pair bonding. 
Well, not 10,000, 4 million, 4.4 million. Okay. We have evidence now that by soon after we came down out of the trees, uh, you know, the trees were disappearing. Somebody had to get out. We were forced to the ground. We began to stand up on two feet instead of four. Females began to have to their, carry their babies in their arms instead of on their backs. So that's the equivalent of a 20-pound bowling ball that's going to roll off and get eaten by a lion. So uh, they began to need a partner to help them rear their young. And uh, how could a male four million years ago, you know, uh, protect a whole harem of females? But he could protect one and send his DNA on to tomorrow. So we evolved uh, the brain circuitry for romantic love and feelings of deep attachment, but not necessarily lifelong attachment. Right. So serial, would you say serial monogamy? What we have now, the second women got reproductive freedom, all of a sudden divorce rates went up. You don't think that was a, that was a decline in morality. You're saying that was just a regression or not even a regression back to the mean. It's how we were meant to be. We were meant to find one person, fall in love, have a kid, once the kid reaches a certain age, phase out. Is that where the seven-year itch, seven itch comes from? Well, actually, it's the four-year itch. Okay. And um, I was wondering whether it was a seven-year itch. And I had every reason to think that it might be the seven-year itch because it would take about seven years for one man and one woman to have two children and thus reproduce themselves, okay. both of them. But when I looked at the demographic yearbooks for, for the United Nations from 1947 to 2011, I didn't find a seven-year itch. I found a four-year itch. Huh. People around the world in all kinds of different cultures, you know, that celebrate uh, different rituals, have different gods, eat different kinds of food. Some are hunter-gatherers, some are farmers, some are collect money, some collect paintings, whatever. Bottom line is that we see around the world this this um, drive to fall in love and form a pair bond and stay together at least long enough to raise one child, not uh. two children, but one child through infancy. And then if you break up and you form a new pair bond and have another child, what have you really done? You've created more genetic variety yeah. in your young. So I began to see this, even in hunting and gathering societies, this four-year itch. And it began to occur to me, my goodness, the, the, the normal human birth spacing is four years. Yep. And so it began to occur to me, oh my, maybe millions of years ago when we came down out of the trees, began to pair up, we needed to stay together at least long enough to raise a single child through infancy about four years. Yeah. Then um, a child is now, was not, you know, by able to feed and protect itself at age four, uh, and probably even in hunting and gathering societies, certainly not in them. Um, but they could be a four-year-old a million years ago, could be raised also by a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old right. and aunts and uncles and cousins. The These, critical period tra- of mortality. Exactly. There. Absolutely. Yeah. When kids die. I mean, yeah. your first day on planet Earth is number one day you're likely to die. Yeah. Most four years, it drops dramatically. dramatically, dramatically. Among primates, uh, something almost forty percent of of infants uh, will die. Yeah. So that's one of the great achievements of mankind. It's not that we're actually living any longer; it's that when uh, more people are surviving infancy, uh, yeah. infancy. So it's the people are always saying, "Well, in the times of Jesus Christ, people were living to age 30. Not true. Right. What they were doing that's that's the average, and they were taking the average from the amount of children that die before the age of four. So anyway, I think we evolved this tremendous drive to fall in love, focus on a particular individual, 
uh, form a pair bond, stick together at least long enough to raise that child through infancy. And then, you know, uh, if you got kept on getting along with each other, you'd have more children right. together. But uh, if, but if you not, didn't, <laughs> I also think that our ancestors were adulterous. I mean, when you really look, I've looked at adultery in 42 cultures, and we know some of the genetics that's linked with adultery. And we know some of the uh, genetics linked with pair bonding. And uh, I think we're an animal that uh, does both. I mean, we have a tremendous drive to fall in love, form a pair bond, rear our children as a team. But we also have a roving eye. Now, we've got a big cerebral cortex with which we do our thinking. We don't have to go sleep around with everybody in the neighborhood, but it's remarkable how many people do. So as an anthropologist, I had to sort of try to explain why is it, you know, in perfectly happy marriages, people will also, you know, um, look for, as Lord Byron said, fresh features. (laughs) (laughs) Or was 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 it, one of the Roosevelt said, you know, he was talking about, well, let me not go, let me not divulge, uh, devolve the conversation. Let me say this. Do you think, going back to this very beginning question, Dr. Buss told me, he said, Ty, because I talked about this thing I have called the four M's. What motivates us? Money, material things, mating, movement slash freedom, mastery status. These are things that people, but he said, no, Ty, you're wrong. It's all mating. Everything's making. And he said it has to be that way because the process of evolution says things that reproduce best and survive best end up winning and everything else is off the table. So, Yeah, so from a Darwinian perspective. Do you think that's true? At everything, that the fact that men want to make money. Let's take somebody. Everything that you just listed is a spinoff from mating. In other words, you get them a whole lot of money, you're going to get the girls. and you. I mean, the bottom line is if you have four children and I have no children, you live on and I die out. That's a fact. And that's basically what Darwin said. And so every single other thing, I mean, we evolved jealousy. Uh, We evolved ambition. Um, We evolved all kinds of, you know, I mean, why are we such good musicians? Why are we so good at math? Why are we... uh, you know, uh, good at acting, or why are we good at painting? You don't have to do all that to, to eat another banana in the woods, yeah. you know. <laughs> but if it attracted the right girl at the right time, and you had fat babies with her, and uh, passed your DNA onto tomorrow, and she happened to be a very good singer, or very highly motivated, uh, or very ambitious, or and he was very good at hitting that buffalo in the head with a rock, and she liked him for that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's all spinoffs from this basic reproductive yeah. strategy. Of having young and all kinds of different species do it differently, but not consciously. I mean, consciously, no. richest man in the world for seventeen years, Bill Gates. Yeah, he's married, and as far as we know, seems to be pretty faithful to right. his wife. So, what you're saying is across large groups, this averages out, but individual people rise above maybe this. Well, I don't have any children, yeah. um, you know, and I didn't want to have any children. So basically, you know, and there's people who are vegetarians and we evolved to eat meat. We've evolved a huge cerebral cortex with which we do our thinking, but we have a lot of predispositions. Uh, I mean, some people are predisposed to alcoholism. Some people are predisposed to eating too much and then they overcome it. You know, they, I mean, you can think your way out of some predispositions. So, but are you saying sex is a predisposition that maybe we should rise out of if... Let's say adultery is the norm if we look back. 
Well, I'm not is in it, the should business, uh, <laughs> but I am in the business of what goes on. Okay. And I think that we evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. Mm-hmm. One is the sex drive. Yep. Second is feelings of intense romantic love. Yeah. And the third is feelings of deep attachment. Right. And the sex drive evolved to get you out there looking for a whole range of partners. You can have sex with somebody you're not in love with. Yeah. Uh, romantic love evolved to enable you to focus your mating energy on just one individual at a time. And feelings of deep attachment enables you to talk tolerate them, stick with them, love them at least long enough to raise a single child through infancy. But some people give up sex. I mean, there's, you know, religions that people do that. Some people um, had a bad experience in teenage and never feel romantic love again. Very few, by the way. I've met only a couple of people in my life who've never felt romantic love. And there's some people who attach very rapidly, uh, some people who are um, addicted uh, uh, to somebody, uh, and some people who don't attach at all, or very, yeah. very, very rarely. Avoid, I think they call oh. it anxious, secure, and yeah. avoidant in this whole attachment yeah. kind of theory. Yeah. Do you buy into that? that that's that's psychology, yeah. and I'm an anthropologist, and yeah. sure, why not? I do. Th- your childhood always plays a role, but we do know now that a good 40 to 60 percent of who you are uh, is, is, is genetic, Yeah, and I'm an identical twin, and uh, as an identical twin, even as a small child, I knew that there was some biology to my behavior. Is your twin... Married with kids? She had one child and okay. divorced him. She's a hot air balloon pilot okay. and a painter. So in many respects, we're She's quite similar. similar. yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, I walk on international stages and talk about the evolution of adultery, which is dangerous. Right. And she takes people up into a balloon in a tiny little basket that comes up to your waist. So yeah. that's dangerous too. <laughs> so, our, but our She cult- goes in those kind of balloons, like the oh, old a, school she, little... She, yeah, she's a hot air balloon pilot, yes. But I know that they have like fancier ones that they go almost into space, Richard Branson, but she's oh. literally going in a little wicker basket. Like, yeah, a little wicker basket. Around the world in 80 days. They, You know, the head of the... Uh, she was... Um, she, yeah, she made a world record actually, huh. going up over the Continental Divide by herself as the first woman. I think she could have gone around the world. I was praying to God she didn't do that. <laughs> you know, but you're similar in the sense that she didn't settle down, have a big family, live in the exactly. suburbs, nine Same to five job, four kids. And that's the point. I mean, neither yeah. of us have had a nine to five job ever. Yeah. Uh, we both work for ourselves. Uh, we both survive on our creativity. Yeah. Um, we both have the same degree of sex drive. Uh, she's traveled a lot all around the world as I have. Um, and we got the same sense of humor and various things, but you know, life takes you different directions. I mean, as you grow up, you build this unconscious love map, a map of, of what you're looking for in a person. And it varies as people get older. So, so let me, let, let's talk about this for a second. I heard an interesting statistic. I don't know if it's true. There is a group of people, um, they call themselves incels. These are guys who think that the world's kind of against them. There was recently a, they say one of these guys who did a mass shooting was an incel. And there's forums. And I listened to a talk by a guy. I don't know if it's true. He said, in the past, um, about, well, they believe in this 80-20 rule. 80% of men have all the sex. I'm sorry, eight, uh, 20% of men have get 80% of the women and have all the sex. They think that it's more skewed and that there's not quite as much pair bonding that in the past, and he quoted a statistic, I'm not sure exactly if it's true, but that, you know, one out of 17 men really had reproductive success in the past history. 
And so, yes, maybe men were round and they pair bonded, but they oftentimes were raising either someone else's baby or with a woman that they know had. There's no evidence baby. of this. I don't know where okay. it got his evidence. I mean, I really, I really don't. I mean, in pair bonded species, you tend to have, uh, I mean, there's always adultery, no question okay. about it. And when you take a look at other pair bonding species, uh, we can't find a, uh, actually a faith. 90% of the birds, there's about 9,000 species of birds and about 8,000 of them do form pair bonds. And they do it basically for the same reason we do. Somebody in, in, among birds has to sit on those eggs. Mm -hmm. That individual will starve to death uh, if, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, if they don't have somebody to help feed them. So where uh, it's ecologically essential to have a partner, to raise your babies, uh, uh, various creatures do it. A lot of the birds. Uh, but uh, I've never read what you have to say. I've, I've certainly... I've this traveled. is somebody else's. Yeah. I've traveled with hunter-gatherer, and uh, I certainly am an anthropologist who studies hunter-gatherers. And there would be a real problem in a hunting and gathering little band if one man was having all the ladies and, and none of the others were. So, Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So even though there's cultures that have some kind of polygamous yes. one man. You're saying it's not many men. It's a few men that have that. Because mm -hmm. if in a world, let's say a hunter-gatherer group of 150 people, this you know Dunbar's number that would yeah. come from groups of 150. So if there's 150 people, 75 women, 75 men roughly, you're saying that it's not 10 or 20 men who have most of the women in some kind of three or four. You're saying it's a couple leaders that have three or four wives and the rest pair bonded up right. just one-on-one? -on -one. It's very interesting because, you know, um, anthropologists actually don't really... I've looked very carefully at this. 86% of traditional societies permitted a man to have more than one wife. Mm -hmm. But um, you've got to have a lot of goats, a lot of chicken, a yeah. lot of plants, uh, a lot of territory. Uh, you've got a lot of money, whatever, to get more than one, one woman to share your bed. Yeah. And uh, when you go around the world looking at polygynous societies where a man is permitted to have several wives, only about 5 to 10% of men ever acquire enough resources to attract a group of women. And in those places that they do, the women often sneak off and have their extra lovers by yeah. themselves and maybe even children with them. So, um, it's, it's not, it's very hard to get a whole, you know, women, uh, it's like a basket of crabs, you know, it's, they're hard to control. It's uh, hurting <laughs> cats, you know, we, we like the, we like the big men. They're called big men. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, a very poor woman would be willing to share a big man rather than be a poor man's wife. 
But um, even in the even in uh, very traditional societies, very few men have the wherewithal to collect a group of women, and they often do it quite late in life, but uh, in their forties. Mm-hmm. Now that seems a little early for us, because uh, but um, in a lot of cultures, that's very much a very mature older man. So. Um, uh, we are a pair bonding species. You're always going to see variations on this, you know. I mean, right. right here in Brooklyn, we've got a whole pile of people who are polyamorous. Right. And here, I mean, it's very interesting. What's interesting now about today, I, and I actually quite interested in what's going on today and actually quite optimistic, unlike a lot of anthropologists and others, because we can choose the kind of life we want to live. You know, yeah. for 10,000 years of our of our farming ancestry, you were stuck. You know, a woman's career path was only to marry well, and she had to marry somebody who has the same religion, same social uh, networks, same political uh, affiliations, and hopefully from the farm next door. And then it was till death do us part. We're not built for that. Uh, you know, I mean, for millions of years in these hunting and gathering societies, women commuted to work to gather their fruits and vegetables. They came home with 60 to 80% of the evening meal. The double income family was the rule. And um, women were just as sexually and socially powerful as men. So we're moving forward to that right now. We are shedding right now, Ty, you know, 10,000 years of our, our agrarian background, along with all those beliefs. The virginity at marriage, it's gone. Um, uh, a woman's place in the home, it's gone. A uh, man is the head of the household, it's gone. Till death do us part, it's a good 50% of people remain married for life, but a good 50% don't. And a good 50% of the ones who stay married, or maybe not 50%, the ones who stay married have some kind of an affair at some point. Who's who's to know? Who yeah, apparently, uh, a number of affairs are going down. Right. Um, only because in farming societies and, you know, pre-industrial societies, you really couldn't divorce. Yeah. And so a man would have a wife on the farm and maybe another woman in the village. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But now, because divorce is quite easy, yeah, and more people are, are moving on. But let me yeah. ask you, are we happier? So I live with the Amish for two and a half years. Oh, how interesting. And I'm going to go see them next weekend. Well, I oh. actually own a farm in the middle of an Amish community. The Amish run it for me. So I talk to them almost every day. Uh, oh, fabulous. I know some of their language. They're, they're Pennsylvania Dutch. So, so let me ask you this. The Amish... And I can tell you, I've been to a lot of countries, not quite as many. You've been to how many? Hundred and hundred seven. I haven't been to one hundred and seven. Yeah. That's pretty good. You got me beat. Usually, people don't have me beat, but you have me beat. What have you got? I need to recount. Yeah, but half of yours, let's say. Well, it's so, it's a thrill. Anything is a thrill. But yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna catch you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I've now with the challenge has been thrown out. Um, so Jared Diamond, you know, yeah. Professor Diamond. Um, I just interviewed him for his book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, for this company, MentorBox, that I have. And he was he studied the Amish, and he said they have 500% less depression. I'm also uh, friends with a guy or acquainted with a guy that wrote The Paradox of Choice. I don't know if oh, you know oh, sure. Barry Schwartz. Schwartz. Yeah. So I can tell you, in many ways, the Amish are more happy. They have zero divorce, although they are serial monogamous, because I have one Amish guy who works for me who's married four times because three of his wives died and he's on his fourth wife. So in that sense, they're serial monogamous, but they don't have divorce. I, are we better off? And, and, and now I will tell you just to skip ahead to my answer before I hear yours. Um, I really believe in genetics more than anything, not in the weird sense of, of, you know, 
deterministic, like by race, but individual people are deter- are very much influenced by their genetics. And I think I started noticing years ago, because I went to the Amish when I was basically a teenager, Amish babies don't cry loud. That's They just don't. And so I used to think the Amish were easy to get along to and nice because of how they were raised, right? You raise people to be very polite and kind, but babies haven't been raised yet. And a one-month-old baby, Amish baby, hardly cries. And so my theory is that Amish are highly agreeable people who are willing to conform to a group because by very definition, anyone who doesn't want to be leaves the Amish. You're allowed exactly. to leave the Amish. Right. So they pass that on to their kids, this high agreeableness. So maybe the Amish are happier and has nothing to do with the social structure except more of the fact that this is a group of people more predisposed to being happy. And therefore, so it's like correlation causation is the fact that they don't get divorced the cause of their happiness. Because like I said, Dr. Jared Diamond said he's documented that they're happier if by that metric. And I can tell you anecdotally, they're definitely happier than our society here, New York City. Um, Or is it just correlated? Like these people would have been happy in any other setting just because they're the happy people that stay there. Are, are we better off in, like you said, Brooklyn, you have polyamorous groups, which by the way, never seems to be work out that well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> We're not built for it. We are not built for it. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, you know, I mean, a good 50% of who you are comes from your genetics. And I can see where there would be selection for happy people, the ones that aren't happy leave. Yep. And so the ones that aren't happy leave. And, and agreeable, and, I would say. Agreeable. Yeah, agreeable. Yes. And so basically the ones that aren't agreeable go and they go before they have babies. Yes. And the agreeable ones do have babies. Yeah. And so there's going to be some selection on that. But I would also say, I mean, I I'm a physical anthropologist, but the environment probably also plays a role. I don't mm-hmm. know if they constantly hold their children. <clears throat> oh, yeah. They have the and happiest they, kids you'll ever see. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if you're being constantly held, um, that's driving up the oxytocin system in the brain. And in men who hold babies, you know, levels of testosterone are going down. Mm-hmm. So if you're constantly holding the babies and there's constantly people around to, to focus on the babies and everybody knows what the rules are, there's no dissension in the ranks on that. I would imagine it's a matter of, of genetics and culture to see and a very choice. happy culture. Let's choice. I'm sure. saying, are we happier choice now that hard. we know we can can go, yeah. okay, I'm with this girl and she's pretty good, but the grass exactly. is greener. Or does that make us ha- Dr. Schwartz told me no. He he told me at one point a few years ago, I was going through a breakup and I was going, should I be happy that I'm breaking up? Because now there's more. Tra-. He's like, no. He's like, the secret to happiness in life is find something decent and stick with it. <laughs> yeah. now, I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, uh, well, basically, the brain it has a sweet spot. And that, Barry Schwartz would say that because the data comes from someplace else. And uh, the data, and, and he agrees with it, uh, that um, we the brain is built for about f- between five and nine choices. And yeah. after that, um, it's a sweet spot in the brain. And after you have nine alternatives, you begin to not choose any. And in fact, this is one of the things that I say to the people who are dating on the internet at Match and, and at other places. You know, after you've met nine people, stop and yeah. get to know at least one of them better. Because we all know that the more you get to know somebody, the more you like them and the more you think that they are like you. So I think that's this know, thing called optimal stopping. Yeah. I think Dr. You know, Dr. Martina Adshade, she yeah, wrote don't. a book. Oh, she's. Uh, she wrote a book on the economics of sex. Uh-huh. She's an economist, and okay. she says the same thing. She says uh-huh. twelve. Uh-huh. She basically says 
it's a comp it's complex math but at some po- point if you're interviewing secretaries that's the classic you know oh, then you this word mm-hmm. i think it was thomas jefferson or somebody like this came up with this question i'm interviewing secretaries how many do i interview before i you know choose, them. choose. and and it's interesting it says you shouldn't you should meet 12 people, but purposely say no to all of them. That becomes the baseline and then take the next best one. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this evolved strategy. You need like a baseline. So you, you go out a with clear idea. Yeah. Well, the thing is when you're, you know, when you're dating, there's a lot that you don't choose to ever go out and meet. So yeah. that's probably the first 12. Right. And then if you stop and get, you know, take a look at nine of them. Right. You right. Know, it ends up being yeah. something similar. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, these aren't dating services. They are introducing services. The only real algorithm is your own brain. Yeah. And we do carry around in our head the ability to choose only between a few, a few possibilities. And that's, you know, I mean, you're talking about, are we happier now? I think we've traded in um, security for autonomy and adventure. We all mm. some, somehow have to decide how much autonomy do we want and how much uh, uh, security and, and romance do we want? Yeah. And, you know, I, what's interesting is, you know, I've, I'm going out with a guy now mm-hmm. and there's a new term called LAT. Are you familiar with it? LAT. Yeah. I'm not. Like, it, it, L A, like the letters L A T, or like T, like you drink. No, L dot A dot okay. T. Okay. It, it, it means it's a new term that the mon- mon- millennials are, have made up. Okay. Uh, they're really good with language. They're really creating all kinds of things. I'm really impressed with millennials, and I want to tell you why. But the bottom line is, it means living apart together. Okay. And if you're not ch- ch- going to have children, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, or your children are grown or whatever, we're seeing more and more people having their own homes and meeting, you know, pretty much by appointment. And that's one thing that my boyfriend and I do. I mean, we're totally, uh, you know, I'm done with with moving around here. So, uh, I mean, but um, he has his place and I've got mine. And last night he was at mine and tonight he'll be at mine. And Wednesday night I'll be at his and everybody. So you have it all mapped out for the future. Well, no, I got it mapped out for this week. That's (laughs) okay. But the bottom line is, uh, I think there's something civilized about that, you know? I mean, even in hunting and gathering societies, women would travel for two weeks, three yeah. weeks. So would men. They'd be go off on five days a, a fishing trip or a hunting trip or whatever. I mean, there's 24-7. Yeah. But the beauty of today is that we can do it the way we want to do right. it. It's not a cookie-cutter thing. But you know, going to this hunter-gatherer farmers, Joel, so I, I own some businesses in the, a company called FarmersBox.com, and we also... I own a lot of farms in the United States and uh, our farmland. Joel Salatin is a guy who who is one of my mentors. He's probably the most famous farmer in the United States. Him and his wife, high school sweethearts, never dated anyone else, got married. They've been married for 50 years, okay? So now he's going and do it. He does a lot of public speaking. He's hardly home all winter. And I was talking to his wife, Teresa, and she goes, I, she goes, I've never been happier. <laughs> Absence makes the heart ponder. So even there where you have like, you know, traditional exactly. 1950s marriage, they're happy to be apart. Right. They're doing, what is it? L-A-T? L-A-T. Living apart yeah, they're together. Like, and she goes, she, I mean, she's joking, but serious. She goes, mm-hmm. I see him half the time yeah. and I'm ha- always happy to see him. Yeah, of course. And same. Yeah. And nobody gets irritated at anybody yeah. and all that. But yeah, I do want to talk about personality style. You know, yep. um, 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 I have found 
by doing my brain scanning that we've evolved four different styles of thinking and behaving linked with the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen systems. Yeah, you systems. have a quiz. I've taken your quiz. You did? Oh, my yeah. goodness. You have to take the... I am a... I'm a well, builder? No, no, no. What's the, no, I'm not a builder. That's my lowest. The, uh, it I'm would an have explorer to be is my highest. Yeah. And then director second. Yeah. yeah. And then estrogen. Builders third, third and negotiators last. Which one's the estrogen one? Uh, okay. Estrogen Nego- is is um the negotiator. That's my lowest. Uh-huh. I have have you ever seen that's digit? No, Index, yeah, that's, so I have <laughs> I have the most testosterone of any guy, yes. and I've done my blood. And test. your I face is your face is very testosterone too. The strong jaw, handsome face, uh, heavy brow ridges is is, is high testosterone. So <laughs> I knew you. I'm a Neanderthal. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I I like the Neanderthals. I've got I think four percent of my DNA, and you probably do too. Yeah, we I'm all like do. five. We all do. I, we I'm all a little do. more if you're, than normal. If you're from Europe, I am the lowest on um uh uh the serotonin. Traditional, conventional, follow the rules. That's the builder? That's the builder. I am like you in that I've got high um, dopamine. Yep. That's why the 107 countries and writing books and working for myself. And I mean, they're risk-taking, novelty-seeking, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic, mentally flexible. Um, By the way, where can people take this quiz? It's free, right? Yes. Um, uh, The original one is in this book, Anatomy of Love. It's in another book, Why Him, Why Her. Or you could just go to my website, theanatomyoflove.com. Yeah, go take this quiz. Maya, my cousin, said... She did it, and she was reading the thing. She said, Ty, you're the most explorer. It, it fits you more than any. Now, so I was dating a girl. The longest relationship I've had recently, um, and in some ways the best, it was on and off for two or three years, okay? okay. Um, I know using your quiz, I think I diagnosed the problem. She was a hardcore, she was builder, it wouldn't work with you. Yeah, but she was also. But you know what's funny? She and was also. She was negotiator, mm-hmm. which I feel like I did like that part. Well, I didn't a, yeah. like the builder part. The exactly. Ne- negotiator was great because I'm right. definitely more confrontative, high testosterone. She was also, if you do Myers Briggs, she was an INFJ. Mm-hmm. I do real well with INFJ. introverts, yeah. more feeling, yeah. more. F- I like feminine yeah. women for but, sure. Uh, masculine men do. Yeah, you know, I've I've got you know fourteen or over fourteen million people have taken that questionnaire. Wow, okay. and it's the first one in the world in which I put people in brain scanners and was able to prove that's the only questionnaire in the world in which I uh, that I've been able to prove that anybody's been able to prove that the questionnaire actually measures brain systems. And then I watched in eighty thousand people. Who is drawn to whom? Okay. And high testosterone, like you, is drawn to high estrogen. And high estrogen is drawn to high testosterone. My boyfriend is very high testosterone, okay. as you are. Yeah. And um, I'm very high estrogen. And um, it's... Um, and have your best relationships, looking back, been that way? Everyone is... I can't yeah. tolerate... I, I can't t- tolerate serotonin. I don't follow the rules. Yeah. I don't respect authority. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, I do. But if it doesn't make sense, I don't. I'm not religious. Um, high serotonin tend to be um, uh, traditional, conventional, follow the rules, respect authority. They follow... Uh, um, and this uh, they is the builder, schedules. right? That's the builder. Builder, yeah. That they like schedules. Um, they are concrete thinkers. You're clearly a very theoretical thinker. Yeah. And, um, and you're very high dopamine. And that's the problem. It was the high dopamine with you yes. brushing against the high serotonin. With yeah, her. she didn't like, for example... And this was before I kind of was all out there on social media. When that happened... She liked to travel, but not real. Like I finally realized after a couple of years, her dream life was suburbs, husband, wife, 2.2 kids or 1.9 yeah. kids. 
I couldn't do it. And she, I know. I and I, I would almost and get I've never panic done, I've attacks never thinking about that life. <laughs> I mean, really. I understand. Uh, you know, I was with a guy recently who was high serotonin, and I said to him, I said we were going to the movies. And I said, do you happen to have any water in your backpack? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, we can drink it in the movies. And he said, no, we can't. You can't bring food or drink into a movie house. And I said, no kidding. I never done it. You know. So the so bottom line did is, did this date go well? Well, I, he was just a friend, but uh, oh. no, but uh, you know, uh, my boyfriend is high dopamine, like me, so and like are, you. So, so you're high a dopam- you're an explorer. For I'm an explorer negotiator. Okay, and you are an explorer director. Director, yeah. And my boyfriend is an explorer director. So, what's the like director you. part? Is that ter- testosterone? Too? Yes, okay. analytical, yeah. logical, direct, decisive, tough-minded. Okay. Skeptical often, but the the explorer in you is probably going to be less spec, uh, skeptical. You're going to want to yeah. know and experience and and play with ideas. Yeah, um, they tend to be. Uh, 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 um, Bill Gates and um, uh, Steve Jobs are very high uh, testosterone. Uh, Trump is over the moon with testosterone. Really? Oh yeah. So what is Trump in your opinion? Is he explorer, director, or director? Maybe first. Well, the problem with him is uh, I don't study. Psychotic people. <laughs> but do I don't think, study people who are. Uh, uh, he's very high testosterone. I know that. But and do you I actually think thought, he's a psych? So I, I'm very personality. He's narcissistic. Stu- he's narcissist narcissistic. More. In the dark triad, you have narcissism, Machiavellianism, and, and psychopathy. Uh, he's very good. I don't think uh-huh. he's a psychopath. Psychopath, for example. He cares about what other people think of them. One of the signs Big of a time. psychopath is very much. I mean, I think not to. I interviewed once Hillary Clinton. I would say she has characteristics more of psychopathy. Well, I, I don't know about psychopathy because I don't study it, yeah. but um, she's high testosterone. Yeah. She's a high testosterone woman. She was thinking of joining the Marines. First senator, I think, female senator of New York. When um, she was asked once uh, why she liked Bill, and she said he wasn't afraid of me. Right. <laughs> now, yeah, I but think, that reminds me and, of us. <laughs> that's like yeah, that, no, that's 80% of Navy SEALs yeah. are psychopaths. But so being Tell a psychopath, me what a psychopath is. So, I mean, or, or let me just say this: eighty percent of Navy SEALs display these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what I learned from Doc. I'm not an absolute expert in it, but some of the attributes, for example, when if you talk about brain scans or these sweat scans, when a yeah. gunshot goes off, most people begin to sweat. Yeah, psychopaths don't. Mm-hmm. So Navy SEALs, you would want a Navy police officer. The reason there's a high police brutality is who wants to be a police officer? People that lean more towards like now it's on a spectrum of one to a hundred, let's say. I doubt Hillary Clinton's a one hundred. Hundreds are in prison for the most part. Dude. Or they're brilliant. I mean, uh, I mean, how about Margaret Thatcher? And I think she's very yeah. high testosterone. I think Bill Clinton's very high estrogen. Yes, he cries easily. He's got a very verbally skilled, uh, got good people Would you say skills. he's more of a negotiator then? Yes. I think he's probably, and uh, yeah, largely. And, How and does this matching though? So if I'm an explorer director, I look, if I'm a You very need an high, explorer negotiator. You explorer need, negotiator. Yeah, okay. You need another explorer like yourself. Yeah. Somebody where you, you're going to say, oh, they can, this new tourist thing to North Korea. Let's go and take a look at the country. And you went and to North Korea, by the way. Instantly. Yeah. Yeah. And so all I did is got on, oh, far out, you know, I mean, should I bring my computer or not? I mean, uh, see, you know. I agree with you, but my life experience, this is what messes me up here. I'm not, we're having a little shrink session here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> even though you're an anthropologist, you're kind of, you're a therapist for the day. Um, the problem is I, it seems to me, and this is just my anecdotal experience, the women that I find 
who are explorers, yeah. who like to travel, yeah. also are too high a testosterone for me. They're well, too you masculine. Need high, you need a high estrogen. But like, how do I get the E or the explore negotiator? I don't know where those are. Well, you're sitting across the street from them, right? I mean, across the, <laughs> I mean, I'm one and there's a lot of them. You've got there's a guy. lot of them. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, I absolutely. I love them yeah. too. And I'm too old for you. And, uh, but anyway, and you want somebody that's different. But um, there's plenty of them. There's a lot of women who are high estrogen. But you just are there the- more, are there statistically, like if you study Myers-Briggs, which is somewhat questionable science, but... I actually like Myers Briggs. Yeah, Myers Briggs is it's well, kind of poo pooed a no, little bit by uh, oh, uh, scientists. Oh, big time poo pooed because it but, has bad retest variability. A exactly. lot of people retest differently. Um, um, but uh, one of the things that's interesting about it, do you know the Myers Briggs? Oh yeah. Really. Okay. I actually well, went to the certification. You'll okay. like this. Uh-huh. On the day of certification, I got in a huge argument with the teacher, and he <laughs> threw me out. So I should be Myers Briggs. I probably done more. I also did last year. I have my own quiz. I did. Quarter of him. I've done more quizzes than that guy. Mm-hmm. And we, I didn't even start. He got real butt hurt. It was mm-hmm. at lunch and I was going, I was just questioning a few things, not trying to embarrass him in front of the group. And he got super mad. And then, well, so, let me tell yes, you what I, I do know I, about Mark you know, Briggs. Um, they don't like me, but um, <laughs> I, I've really studied them. I've studied all of them before I put this, my own questionnaire out because I needed to do something quite different and something that was really based in science. Yeah. But anyway, the bottom line is thinking versus feeling. If yes. you look at the traits of the thinking versus feeling, they're the testosterone traits yeah. versus estrogen. Yep. When you look at the traits of the perceiving versus judging. It's the director, right? It, it, perceiving is dopamine. Yeah. And um, sensing, perceiving, judging is serotonin. Yeah. And when you take a look at the uh, sensing versus intuition, it's serotonin versus um, uh, estrogen. Yeah. So An introvert, extrovert, the, does that I think they're it? wrong. I actually think that they're all wrong. I think that the big five are wrong. I think they're all wrong. I do like Isabel Myers. What's wrong wrong about them? Yeah. uh, What's wrong about them is when I look into the brain, the, the, um, the, um, academic data, um, you see, um, extroversion defined in three different ways and linked with three different brain systems, serotonin, uh, estrogen and dopamine. So I don't see, um, the, so let me tell you what I think is going on. I think Isabel Myers is correct when she has said that um, extroversion and introversion is where you get your energy. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. But then she describes the people who are extroverts as, oh, well, going there, life of the party, this or that, and introverts as the wallflower. That, I think, is wrong. And that's what I got right. thrown out for, and so saying basically, the same thing. And so yes. I think there's a second scale, which is what I call um, whether you're outgoing or reserved. Yeah. Now, for example, I'm an outgoing introvert. Yes. <clears throat> I get my energy. <clears throat> Sorry. Here, have some water. Uh, I get my energy from being alone. I'm fine in the airport. Yeah. I can go f- 15 hours to Australia and be perfectly happy, you know, as long as it's comfortable. Um, uh, but I'm outgoing. I can go into a party and not know anybody and uh, do my best. And I'm not, you know, cowed by it. My brain scanning partner is a, a reserved extrovert. Yes. So she has to have people around. There are people come constantly in and out of her place and everything. But uh, she's reserved. She stand, stays in the kitchen. She's careful with her words. She's she's uh, she's has a more difficult time at a party, et cetera, et cetera. So I just think they're all mismeasuring these yeah. things. And the, so you, you think an it should be? M- so I, I where do you always, get your energy? See, they say I'm an extrovert, but I think I'm like you. Yes. I'm definitely an introvert. Yeah. Who is outgoing? Yeah, but 
I always test as an E. So it tests me as, and I also think that you change in life. So I think I used to be an ENTP and I think I'm an INTP now. Um, I, I think we do change to some extent. Yeah. But the, these four brain systems that I'm studying, the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen system. Now, you're very high testosterone. Um, do you think you could change that? No. That, I mean, I, I've tried. Yeah. I think there are things. I, and I think humans are multifaceted. So, for example, when I went, I went and lived outside society for a long time at the Amish, lived on a farm, no electricity. I did this for almost seven years. And now wow. I'm even back to that's that. That's fascinating. But see, let me that's tell funny. you. I, that, 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 that's, that's wonderful. Of all the farm systems, mm-hmm. this is why I think I'm extroverted in that I do derive energy from being around people. So let me, let me change. Let but me, do they tire you? For sure. That's it. That's, that's the introvert. So I would say, this is how I always think about it. Um, um, I think that you could say stimulated. So I need people to stimulate me. But you also get stimulated with books. I get, yes, but... I would say it's almost, and this is why I say this thing of personality, whenever you start breaking it out too simply, it start, it's analogies and metaphors right. all break down. I, if I was alone, always read, it's almost opposite. I need to be around people to then want to go read books. Okay. So by being around people and getting that stimulation, I realize, Ty, you need to go be alone to study. So if I'm not around anybody for a month, I actually, my reading goes down. That's interesting. And that, what do you end up doing? Looking to be around people. Uh-huh. I don't think I could do a month. I really don't. I, I mean, I... But true introverts know. could. So I'm just yeah. saying... I'm not positive true introverts could. Not an outgoing introvert. Right. Um, I, I think, I mean, we all So maybe vary. it needs to be another letter. A letter. So you'd be outgoing, introverted, and then energy source or stimulation mm-hmm. source. So I think I there's say, many, many things. But I think that basically um, not all extroverts are great with people mm-hmm. and not all introverts are wallflowers, period. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I go for that. And so uh, that, that, that's where I think Myers-Briggs are wrong. The other problem with them is they put you in buckets. Yeah. And what's really important is to know where you are on all four of these basic brain systems. Yes. The explorer, the negotiator, the, uh, the builder and the director, because it's valuable to know what you're not. Well, and I think you also have to know the degree. So, for example, yes. you could be an ENTP, but they could all be low, low E, low N, low T, low P mm-hmm. for Myers-Briggs. And even in your quiz, I think it gives a number, like explorers, like yeah. it's out of 100, right? Uh, it, well, there's 14 questions for yeah. each one of the one of the uh, um, uh, scales. Yeah. And um, so I guess it goes up to 40. I can't yeah. remember. I haven't but I get well. super high explorer, like yeah, insane. Too. Me and too. then, like and then on things on like builder, I get insanely low. And me I've too. seen other people take your quiz. I've had them take the quiz, and they get very. They, they might have one slightly, but they're yeah, almost more even. of a balanced person. Yeah. In some ways, I'm not balanced. No, you're not, and that's why you're so creative, <laughs> and that's why you've produced what you've what you've produced. And you know, we need all kinds of people on the planet. And you know, you, you sound like an Amish guy. I once asked uh-huh. him. I said, David. How do you live in this world where you have no electricity and you're still living like the 1500s and there's electricity and modern driving by the road right around? And he said, well, Ty, they're very wise, by the way. He said, you know, my dad once told me it takes a lot of different people to make the world go around. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there is a, there is kind of, now. I've never met two people who were alike and I'm an identical twin.
Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.